Okay, this is Dr. David Banner again. <clears throat> this chapter is called The Development of Empathy. And one of the ways we can consciously frame shift is to develop compassion and empathy. So let's talk about those in this chapter. Empathy is the ability to be in another person's shoes. The ability to see as that person sees, hear as that person hears, smell as they smell, and so more. It's, it's like becoming another person. This can dissolve the so-called boundary between you and the other person. The automatic benefit of empathy is compassion. You begin to know how the other person is experiencing their reality. As Greg Braden notes, compassion is what we need on this planet right now to heal the apparent divisions caused by the fear-based human ego. If you can actually see through another person's frame, then compassion and empathy are natural byproducts. This is why it's so helpful to use the Enneagram. When you begin to understand another person's type or frame, you can use that word too, uh, you begin to see how they construct their personal reality. Uh, let me give you an example. My wife is a type 9 with a, a strong one wing, which means she tends to be perfectionistic. All of that is well and good. Uh, I'm a type 7. I'm not very perfectionistic at all. So what used to happen is I would be doing the dishes in the kitchen and she'd be watching me to make sure that I was doing them right. Well, this would drive me crazy, so I would ask her to go in the other room. Well, the point is, if you start to understand <laughs> that the person just doing their type, it's not personal. This is the wonderful benefit of the Enneagram. When you see a person in their type, they're unconscious to what they're doing. It's just a program. Uh, the type is just a program, and they're running their program. So instead of getting mad or upset and thinking, well, she's doing it to me. No, no, she's just doing her type. And this builds empathy and compassion. You begin to see that nobody is trying to do anything to you consciously when they're just running their type. Okay. Being attached to your particular worldview is the source of all the conflict on the planet. People have different belief systems, different attitudes, different values, different cultures. So if you're attached to your particular worldview or paradigm or frame, then you, since you think you're a separate ego, separate identity, you're willing to fight to protect your particular viewpoint. <laughs> This has been true throughout millennia, and this is the source of all the wars on the planet, is different belief systems, different attitudes, different values. I, there was a wonderful uh, training I took in the 70s called uh, EST, and one of the questions you were asked in this training was, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? Because <laughs> you can't be both. And I thought that was a very good... Uh, thing to look into, you know. Would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? Most people would rather be right. And how do you get to be right? To conform to your belief systems, your attitudes, and your values. Make sure that everything is occurring according to your own software.
Okay. Albert Einstein had a very interesting quote. He said, peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. What a wise man Albert Einstein was. Uh, he said many other things that were exceptional. So here's the thing. If you identify yourself as one that everything with everything that exists, your true identity, then it's impossible to react uh, against something because you are everything in your consciousness. <clears throat> Just like that quote I read to you earlier, uh, if you if you see the external world as part of you, then anything that happens is something contained within you. And you begin to understand that you draw to yourself experiences that conform to your internal beliefs, attitudes, and values. That's what gets drawn to you. That's why you have the experiences you have. Uh, this is not to blame the victim if you have terrible experiences. No, 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 no. It's to point out that if your external world is not conforming to what you would prefer, then you better take a look at your belief systems. What do you believe to be true? Uh, belief systems are extremely powerful. Uh, give you an example. There was a research done in the 1940s uh, where a teacher designed this study. Uh, she got a class that were all identical IQs. And then she split the class in two. And she told half of the class, uh, you people are geniuses. And uh, I'm going to have to do very little to help you learn. So I expect you to do very, very well. She told the other half of the class that you people are kind of slow mentally and you're going to need a lot of extra work to be able to perform at a level that I'd like to see you perform at. So, you know, don't expect too much, but, you know, do, do your best. Well, of course, what happened was uh, that the people that were told they were bright did 20, 30 points higher on the average than the people that were told that they were kind of slow. Nothing else was different. They all had the same IQ. So belief systems are extremely important. And if you believe that you're a separate egoic identity, having to duck and dive and struggle and manipulate to get through life, then that's what you're going to experience. If you believe that you are a divine being connected to all sentient life, you will have an experience of connection, interconnectedness. And you will begin to notice how easy life is. It's not hard at all if your identity is in the whole. Okay, so uh, in this frame-shifting book, I list a bunch of experiences that I had that really helped broaden my frame. The first one I'm going to talk about is family constellation therapy. This was developed by Bert Hellinger, a German guy, and he decided to set up a, a, a program using a facilitator where, say, six to ten people are invited. And one person is chosen to be the focal person of the group. Then the person chooses other members of the group who are participating in this process to play the role of members in his or her family. This is where it gets interesting. 
Gender is not important. So you can play the role of a woman if you're a man or vice versa. So all these roles are uh, decided. So if you adopt the role, for example, of a family member of the focal person, you will begin, this is really interesting because I've done this, you will begin to have the experience of being that person. For example, I did one constellation where I was the deceased brother of a, of a man who's a personal friend of mine. And I began to have an experience of what it must be like to be the de deceased brother of this person. So I began acting like this, his brother acted, which was startling to him and to me. So this is what... Uh, helps develop empathy. If you begin to see yourself as connected to the larger picture through this particular process, for example, uh, you, can, you can understand why uh, a person has reacted the way they have reacted in your life. Um, they also do what are called blind constellations. These are really interesting where the people are picked to play various roles, but they're not told who to play. So the constellation starts and the same thing happens. The person that was picked to be your father, mother, uncle, grandfather, whatever it is, uh, they, they begin to act in a manner similar to the way that person acted or is acting. Uh, this is very, very interesting stuff. Uh, Hellinger argues that we have to complete each family constellation. Say, for example, that you're in a family that had a uh, aborted child. In other words, in the children group, there was a, a hole where a person that was supposed to be there wasn't there. Well, this hole needs to be healed, according to Hellinger, and that's how these constellations can be helpful to someone who lost a sibling. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, so the family constellation therapy is, is one of the frame shifting tools that I developed uh, on my way to understanding the larger picture. Uh, I'm not saying in this podcast that I have achieved uh, the true identity. No, that's not true. I still appear to be a separate person in an uh, objective world. But I have more of an understanding of what it's like to be in that true identity, and periodically I do experience it. Okay, the next frame-shifting tool that I talk about in this chapter is the Enneagram. I'm not going to go into it in great detail here because we've already discussed it and you've had two chapters on it. But the Enneagram... Uh, shows you how you develop survival strategies in your life, uh, how you can begin to watch your own type operating, how you can begin to have compassion and empathy for another person with a different type. This can be extremely helpful in family systems. For example, my son is uh, a type 5, which is the observer. These are people that are mental uh, they're not much in touch with their feelings, typically, and they use their mind to get through life. They need a lot of time alone. 
uh, fives are withdrawn people. They're not out there. They're, they're back here. So I knew my five uh, son uh, and his tendencies because I know the Enneagram. So I went to visit him in Amsterdam, Holland, where he was living. So I got there in the afternoon and we started talking and we had dinner together. And uh, I could tell he was starting to get nervous because he's a five. And I'm his father, who's extremely extroverted, as you've already been able to tell. So I said to him, Nick, how about tomorrow I get on my bike, travel around Amsterdam, look around, come back around 6 o'clock and give you some time to yourself. The look of relief on this guy's face was palpable because I understood his type and I was able to offer him behavior that would conform to his, the needs of his type. That's how this stuff can be helpful to you. That's how you can develop compassion and empathy because you begin to understand how a person of a certain type sees reality. This is extremely powerful stuff. It's a great relationship healer. Now, I don't know if, what types of people you have in your particular family constellation, but if you want help with this, uh, there are several online tests that people can take to develop an understanding of their type. Or I'd be happy to help if, if you have some questions about it. Just give me a call, 637-2451. So uh, once you identify your type, then you can read about that type and you can see your particular proclivities, tendencies, and begin to understand why you operate the way you do. And once you understand your type and you understand your mate's type, things are going to go much smoother for you. It's, uh, it's amazing. Okay. Uh, you can, now, here's a little caveat. I mentioned this before, but you can't always teletype by the behavior of the other person. You need to ask them what motivates them in their type. Uh, this is very important because there are lookalike types. Uh, for a long time, I thought I was a type three because as uh, my life has progressed, I've been very focused on achievement, on being successful, on publishing a lot of books and articles. I rose to the top of my profession as a university professor. I had an endowed chair, blah, blah, blah. So I looked a lot like a three. But I got a job offer to uh, develop a program up at La Crosse at Viterbo University. I was the first director of the MBA. <laughs> MBA program, and I developed a program. I hired the faculty. I recruited the students. I developed an advisory board. I got us accredited, on and on and on. Ran the program for four and a half years and then gave it to a younger guy. Now, that could look like a three kind of activity, but the truth was I did it because I thought it would be fun and interesting, and that's the motivation of a seven. So I began to see that I'm not really a three, I'm a type seven. And that's how you can get to it, because you begin to understand the motivation of the person, not just their behavior. So I look like a three, but I'm not a three, I'm a type seven, because my motivation is fun and doing stuff that's interesting and challenging. Okay, 
Threes don't care that much about fun. They just want to get it done and then move on to the next project. Okay. Uh, then there are other aspects of the Enneagram that you can study. Uh, the subtypes. There are three different subtypes, and I mentioned those in the two chapters earlier. There's the self-preservation subtype, the social subtype, and the uh, what's called the sexual or relational subtype. I'm a relational seven, and my wife is a self-preservation nine, which is a challenge for us because we have a different orientation. Um, she's more oriented towards uh, getting enough rest, getting enough exercise, eating good food, and I'm more oriented toward intimacy. So you can see that this could cause some challenges, and it, and it has over the years. But again, once you begin to understand the type and subtype of your significant other, it goes a long way toward reframing their behavior. See, that's the whole point of frame shifting is begin to adopt a different frame to view that person. Uh, that, that really helps a lot. Okay. There is another training I took back in the 90s called Avatar. Avatar is a uh, experiential training, nine days long, and it's a great training for developing empathy and compassion. Uh, one of the uh, particular exercises is called Label It. And what that means is you look at something and see if you can tell what that is without a label. And you'll notice it's really hard to do because we have developed labels for everything. And these labels are all out of the past. So if you look at something that looks like an automobile, you say car. That's a label. What is it really? Well, what it really is, according to quantum physicists, is a bunch of vibrational uh, reality shaped in a certain way. <laughs> so we learn to call it a car. It's not really a car. In, in one sense, it's a, it's vibration. And all of life is vibration. So uh, they have another process called feelets, and this is very interesting. You can, for example, walk in the woods and find a tree that you feel attracted toward, and you go toward this tree. You look at the tree and you develop uh, a perspective of the tree where your consciousness goes into the tree, uh, fills the tree up, goes out to the branches, down to the roots, up to the leaves, and you begin to feel what it feels like to be a tree. Now, this sounds crazy, I know, but you can do this, and it's really very revealing. It develops a lot of empathy for you. You can do this with animals, too. For example, uh, you can do this with a bird that's flying. You can actually feel the wind under the wings of the bird. Again, it sounds crazy, but you can do this kind of stuff. So, I guess the, what I want to say at the end of this chapter is it ain't personal. <laughs> What the other person is doing is they're just doing their type. And as you begin to understand these types more accurately, you begin to develop empathy for people that are different than you. I used to do trainings with what are called panels. 
where you get a bunch of people with the same type up on the stage, uh, say there are a bunch of fives. And then as a facilitator, I ask uh, the fives, what's it like to be a five? What's it like to see the world through your frame? And the audience, which aren't fives typically, are just blown away with empathy and compassion because they had no idea that their significant other, for example, who's also a five, saw the world that way. So these are very, very helpful processes to develop an understanding of people that are different from you. Okay, I think that's probably enough on this chapter. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.